whoever is listening guys welcome back it has been way too long for an episode of the man with the plan podcast guys as always thank you for your support and thank you for all just the messages and reaching out and being like hey what's going on but been busy with work school it's just been juggling all that before this final stretch and i think no there's no better way to get back into the swing of things and having someone on with Richard Jurgen's story. And today we have on former Clemson football player, former Boston College football player, now serving as an athlete, I think athletic leadership lecturer at Clemson University. He's the author of the book, The Man is Greater Than the Brand, and he's a two-time national champion. What is there more to say about this? Richard, welcome to the show, man. Thank you for having Thank you for taking the time out of your day. Man, Mr. Man, thank you for having me on your show, man. Um, it's an honor and a privilege, like I told you before we began. And I'm just thankful to be in your space. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely, man. So we're just going to get right into it. I, with all my guests, especially former players, I just love hearing how you got into the sport. Was it maybe like a parent? Was it your brother, sister? Was it anybody that was like, hey, you should try this football thing? And then once they saw the product on the field going, hey, you might want to stick with this. So through that eventual start, how did your journey begin? Oh, my gosh. So I think I started playing football before I started actually playing football. You know, you start as a kid, you know, three and four years old, you get that pro jersey uh, for Christmas and you start running around imagining yourself being, a. for me at the time, a Miami Hurricane. I hate to say that out loud. <laughs> um, and a Miami Dolphin because I'm from Fort Lauderdale. Um, those are the teams that are obviously closest in distance. So you just root for your home team. So you know, I grew up always thinking football, basketball, football, basketball, um, but actually began playing football on a competitive level. Uh, peewee football about five or six. That's really young. Uh, we start pretty young in South Florida. So just breeding that love for the game, growing up in the neighborhood, playing football day and night in the street. Um, you know, it's just nonstop, right? Football, football. So, I mean, it becomes um, a part of your everyday life right so I got to go to school and come home so I can get you know opportunity to go out and play some football so it just it really was never like something that was forced or anything that was not natural it was just always there right like as an outlet and so for me you know it was just a natural thing of going from playing optimist to playing high school and then obviously having my wildest dream fulfilled and playing college but actually ended up playing college at Clemson University and, as you mentioned, at Boston College. So, man, I mean, football is obviously taking me a lot of places. Absolutely. It's it's done – it can do so many things. And I think, as you and I have seen, college football has evolved and it's been able to do much more than me growing up ever thought it would be. So walk us through your high school football recruitment and just the process of why Clemson. And then after that, we just talk about what's different because I think recruiting – 2015, 2014, 2013 is vastly different. A decade later in 2023, you have NIL now. You have so much encompassing football, the transfer portal. It's fascinating to talk to players who aren't specifically within that era, but have a perspective that's unique to the sport. Yeah, thank you for asking that question. Um, I would say my rise to fame as a recruit was not easy. Um, it came actually on the flip side of being embarrassed by two individuals um, and going viral. One was Duke Johnson's highlight tape when oh, he was man. a senior and I was a freshman. And then again, as a sophomore at a camp versus Amari Cooper, where I was covering him one-on-one -on -one as a safety. So all of that 
to say I was out of position in the beginning. I was not uh, a highly ranked guy uh, always my whole life, right? Like I had to go through a process my ninth and 10th grade year to evolve into a highly ranked recruit, um, you know? And so for me, transfer high schools um, in order to make that happen and make a switch. Um, and so I got to Shamanah Madonna High School as a sophomore. And my coach said to me, he said, look, you're an outside linebacker, you know, with your speed, with your size, you know, these things, like this is going to happen. He kind of started already writing my future. And so I'm very thankful for Coach Tim Terrell because he opened many doors for me when I didn't see them, right? When I couldn't see my talents and my gifts that I had and how they were going to work to play at the next level, he showed me um, and put me in that right position. So I, I did what I had to do as a junior. You know, I came in, you know, with expectations of, you know, being all county, being all state, met all those requirements, fulfilled all those dreams, um, you know, had a, had a wonderful breakout junior year, led me into my senior year, you know, where I became an Army All-American. I switched schools again um, because my head coach ended up transitioning and leaving and going somewhere else. Um, I ended up playing and ending my high school career at university school in South Florida, which is a highly competitive private school as well. Um, and played for Coach Roger Harriet, and you know things just took off from there. And so every school, as you can imagine, in the country uh, was recruiting me, and it came down to Clemson, University of Texas, Notre Dame, and University of Florida. Um, I was committed to University of Florida uh, silently, verbally uh, throughout the summer. Then I ended up committing to Notre Dame openly. Um, and verbally committing there. And so up until about two or three weeks before signing day, I decided I was going to flip my intentions and go and sign with Clemson. And the reason being was my official visit that I took during the military game and the previous visit that I had come up to Clemson and visited only once my sophomore year when I first was approached by Clemson with an offer before I even became who I was going to become, Coach Brent Venables. Um, you know, had offered me as a sophomore when he first took the job here at Clemson. So I always had that love, that loyalty, that respect, you know, for Clemson being one of those schools who saw the potential in me early before other schools did. Um, you know, and sometimes in your recruitment process, right, you have so many voices, you have so many people telling you, you know, look at this school, look at that school, do this because of this, do this because of that. And it's like, you can't ever really decipher what your own voice is in your recruiting process because you've got so many um, factors that are trying to weigh in on your one big decision for your life, right? And so I would say it was a very tough decision for me to redirect my path back towards committing to Clemson because I had had so many other schools pursuing me. I had family members, coaches, you know, maybe with their hands in my process a little too much. Um, and so I had to, I had to make some decisions based on my morals, right? I had to go mm -hmm. back to where's my faith going to take me? Right. So not chasing money. Right. At the time, obviously, that was illegal. But obviously, there were schools that were still willing, um, you know, won't drop any names. But, <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, at the end of the day. Right. I knew Clemson was trying to do it right. A hundred percent across the boards. And, you know, the other thing that I didn't realize was we were on the verge of something special. Right. And, and I didn't even realize, you know, the, the class that I came in with. Right. So just the people and just like the environment itself was something that was different. And so when I made that full-fledged decision, it was bigger than just football. It was everything. It was family. It was education. It was culture. Um, you know, all of those things that, you know, 
are what set Clemson apart for me, right, in my process and knowing that I put I picked the school for a lifetime, right, and not just a short time, right. So that's that was that was the difference maker, man. That really drove me to you know wanting to come to Clemson was I knew I'd be back on this other side at one point or another in my life, and um, you know I, I would be thankful for the journey. Yeah, you talk about finding your own voice, and I think in today's age of college football. And I'd love to hear your opinion on this and how it's changed. Do you think it's harder for recruits to be able to find that voice specifically? Because that mo- that saying that money talks and that the NIL drives a lot of what college football is like today. We have examples like Quinn Ewers from Texas foregoing his senior year of high school, picks up a million-dollar check at Ohio State, and now is back at Texas. And it's not like a bad thing because this is life-changing money they're going after. But you think it's harder for these recruits to be able to really – express that voice and really express who they are as players and and individuals when there is this big pot on the table ready for them to take if they decide to go to one university or the other what are your what have been your thoughts on the early guinea pig years of the nil and how it's impacted high school recruiting i mean it's definitely added a ton of gray area where it was once black and white which was like hey you know this is right and this is wrong right it's like what is right and what is wrong now right where do you set the line for integrity in terms of either I'm trying to help this young man or I'm trying to, you know, tear him down. Right. And, and there's a lot of people um, that don't realize, you know, each, each young man has his own motives, right. Each young man has his own set of um, expectations that he's placed on himself, that his family's placed on him. And then when you're looking at which university you want to attend, that 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 university comes with its own set of expectations and standards as well. Um, and so I think when you involve money, that just that makes it even more intense, right? When you make a decision, whether it works out or it doesn't work out, right? That school is going to continue to move forward, right? And they're going to continue to recruit the next guy. So I think at this point in time, it's a bidding war, right? For who can put up the most money and who can provide the best opportunity and experience up front. And it's like, how can you promise a kid all these things are gonna happen when if he gets there, none of what he said he was gonna do works out. And now one of you is left holding the bag, right? So like, you don't even know what he's gonna be yet and you're promising him all these things. And he doesn't even know what he's gonna be yet and you're giving him all these things. So it's kind of like, it, there's a there's a lot of um, things at stake here, right? And so when you're talking about someone's future, I think the best thing that you could do is sit them down and educate them, right, on things outside of money, right? Things that you can give them that might not necessarily bring you the money that you want right away, but in the long term, right? Like mm-hmm. you're going to get so much for your experience in return that you're not going to be able to repay it, right? It's going to be that big. It's going to be that awesome. It's going to be that great. And I think, again, going back to my point in my recruitment process, I did not see that until the very end of it, right? That there's a lot of people out there who promise you things, who say things, but everybody isn't always, you know, having your best interest at heart. And I think that's kind of the hard part is when you're young and you're going through that process, your heart and your mind are all over the place. Like all over the place. Like if someone gave you something that's shiny and said, hey, you should commit to it, right? Whether that's an endorsement deal, that's a brand deal. It's like, that sounds great. 
but does it align with my character? And I think a lot of people like may miss that question because it's like, I could take this right now, but what if long-term like that brand that you represent or whatever doesn't align with your values and then it goes against who you are and then it does something to you or, you know, just so many different things that I think you have to question, especially when you're young and you have not matured yet and you have not had the experiences of life to decide, you know, whether this is something that you wanted to commit to long-term or short-term. And I think that's where that education piece, having support, having the right infrastructure as far as family dynamics, coaching, uh, administrators at school, all that stuff is just so important um, on all aspects, just to make sure that, you know, the student athlete is not put at risk, right, for for their long-term success in their future. Yeah, it's like you said, there's a lot of layers to this, and it's I think it's going to continue to grow and it's going to continue to evolve in different ways just because the nature of NIL is, I don't think it can, it's not sustainable to just stay at what it is right now. It's going to continue to grow. But you mentioned something earlier that I believe is super fascinating to Clemson fans now, uh, students, Mm -hmm. fans, is that when you arrived at Clemson, you probably couldn't have chose, picked a better time because you have this stream of players, including yourself, getting ready to change Clemson into what the standard is about today, which is the playoffs are, the, are bust. Multiple 10 wins, it's either 10 or 11 or 12. It's a super high streak, ACC champions. Do you recall mm. a moment in your career where, or at Clemson, where you're with, you're with the team and there's a moment where you're thinking, you, this, is before, this can be either in a, in a game or in a practice or in a film session where, you look at everybody and you go, this this team could be pretty good. This team could go to a national championship, not only can go to one, but actually win it because you have the 2015 national championship, 2016, or the 15 appearance, the 2016 national championship win in Tampa. And that's when everything changed. When in your eyes, did you think, oh yeah, we could, we could do this. I knew right away my freshman summer, after being here for a year, transitioning into being a sophomore. So I had redshirted that year, and now I was going to be a redshirt freshman. Our team was just different, right? Like, as we transitioned, as Deshaun took, you know, full ownership over the offense, and, you know, as we had the pieces of the puzzle all starting to come together, the leadership on the team, everything just went – it went to another level. I just I remember it being as clear as day. It was just like the competition and practice, just how serious like weightlifting and everything became like began to become. And it was just like it wasn't that it wasn't like that before, but that 2015 season was like that was an eye opener for a lot of people because a lot of the games that typically we might have maybe not won in the end or you know might have been a struggle for us really wasn't a struggle right, until we got to NC State. And then when we powered through NC State and we won that game, it was like, okay, now we're at, at the home stretch, right? And so I think when we got to Oklahoma, that was that that was that statement game, right? Like that was that Clemson's here to, you know, do some things for some years type of win, right? And so it was just, I mean, for me, man, as a, as a, as a young player, you know, obviously growing in who I was becoming, um, I just remember, right, like, man, like, this is, this is cool, man. I could have never, I couldn't have never imagined picking a better school, right? Like, at a better time, like you said, man. So, it just, I remember how everything just shifted and changed, man. That was different. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think I was I was 14 and I was in eighth grade. And I remember I remember that weekend that y'all were in Phoenix for the, it was the media thing. And my dad had taken off of work over the weekend and he and my mom are in their room watching every second of the of just wanting to hear whatever was being said. I as a kid, I'm like, yeah, Clemson's the national championship. This is awesome. But I don't think I understood the gravity of the moment of this hasn't happened in a long time. And someone like my parents who have grown up with Clemson fans, my dad telling me, Hey, Grayson, when they won seven games, we were like, this is a miracle. So that for you and your, when you guys are in that stadium, you're getting ready to play Alabama and the result didn't end like you guys wanted, but it felt like y'all still made a statement saying, Hey, we weren't pushed over. And we were maybe a play or two away from being back-to-back national champions as we found out in Tampa. So for you, did you understand the gravity of the moment at that time, just for like the fans and the culture and just how things were changing, like you said, or was it something that you just, you understood the moment you were fully prepared for that? I believe it was a little bit of both, right? Um, you know, my, my defensive line coach, coach Mary Hobby, he always had this saying of, you know, stay ready. So you don't have to get ready. And as defensive ends, you know, we set the tone for, you know, pretty much how things are going to move going forward right so that game that you mentioned that Alabama game you know we took that to heart because you know we had two older guys that were playing their heart out right Shaq Lawson and Kevin Dodd we knew they were about to go to the NFL and it was like okay now as young players you know we got to step up and you know make up for that production that those guys you know brought and the things that they were able to do and you know we're young guys but now we're guys that have to be veterans, have to be seasoned, right? And we gotta, we gotta step up. Like we, we just have to. And so I think, you know, for us in that moment, um, we understood what we needed to do because we've seen it done before us, right? And so that off season, the amount of work that it took, right, to put the team back in the right mind space of like, you know, we might have lost that one, but we're gonna win in the end mentality. I think is what brought us to the 2016 season of leaving no prisoners and no doubt for sure, right? Like we started the journey in 2015, but I think we put the nail in the coffin in 2016 and that would not have happened had we not lost that game, right? So we needed to lose that game in order to realize how critical the moment was to set us up for 2016, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Did you find it that in that space, and you talk about prepping for 2016, when you you climb all the way to the top of the mountain and you, you understand what it takes to get there, did you find that it was harder to, in the regular season, games like that you didn't, maybe it, that wasn't you, you were like, oh, this isn't important, it's SC State or it's Troy, but did you find yourself going, man, like there, there's a, because te- you're playing an extended season, playing longer than everybody mm-hmm. else, and you start to feel that, maybe the weight of it, I guess, the expectation, was it harder in 2016 or was it, oh, we know how to do this. This is easy type, not maybe easy in that sense, but you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I think 2016 was a lot of adjusting going on, right? Because when we first took over the reins, you know, as young players playing the position of defensive end, you know, nonstop, continuously game after game, I think it was good that we had opponents like Troy and South Carolina State in the beginning of our careers as we took over because that gave us the confidence that we needed going into some of those other games later into the season. So I would say starting with Auburn, that was a tough one. And then after that, you know, playing South Carolina State, getting our, you know, getting our getting our feet wet for real, for real, and then moving on and playing other opponents um, like Troy, which was a tough game. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, that really taught us a lot, right? Like don't take 
teams lightly, right? Like don't take them for granted. And so that molded us and shaped us and prepared us for those harder games like Louisville, like NC State again, right? Like those real nail biters, like we needed all those games on that schedule to prepare us for the thicker things on the back end of that schedule that we had playing, you know, the Ohio States, playing Alabama again and being able to really, you know, show them what's up. So I think all of that stuff really, really mattered. All of it. Yeah, absolutely. And then you get to Tampa. It's, uh, I I had a feeling and you start to pick up on certain things as you get older, especially when you continue to watch the game year after year, it felt like, man, if we could get Alabama again, just because it wouldn't probably be this, you, you could win the national championship playing anybody else, but if you can redeem a loss from last year, that was this close. How did it feel to be able to, and just walk through that, those final moments, Watson to Renfro from your perspective, I can't imagine the feeling of, I was with my family there. It was people were crying. It was unbelievable. So from your perspective, what was that like? Those final moments in Tampa where you had reached the top of the mountain and it felt like, wow, like this is what it feels like. So to be honest with you, you know, they say um, a lot of people don't know Michael Jordan personally, but when you see his name appear, you think of the symbol. Right. So that night, right, like I, I think I have to I have to pay homage to Deshaun. Um, you know, just so much respect for him as a leader. And how he walked up to the defense and he's like, Y'all sit back down. They left too much time on the clock. And to see how he went out there and just executed him and Hunter, I mean, that was practice, right? Like they do that in practice. That wasn't like something that just happened on game day magically. Like that was you see it every day. But then to see it happen when it matters most and for it to come to fruition, it just lets you know that it was meant to be. Like, it was destined. It was already written. And so I think a lot of people have to realize that visualization is how you manifest something into happening. And so we'd already visualized having that success. We had already been through losing the year before. Again, we had already been through the disappointing loss during the season that set us up for the win when we played Alabama in that moment. Mm-hmm. So I think everything leading up to that very moment in time, it was like a huge release. It was like a huge breakthrough because obviously we hadn't won a national championship since 1981. So, I mean, it was, I mean, <laughs> it was, it was a great time. One of the best times of my life. Unbelievable. Um, you know, it was unbelievable. Yeah. I, from a, from a, just, just start out freshman year in high school and being able to experience that at such a young age. I mean, it's an unbelievable experience, but I can't imagine for the guys that actually went, put in the hours in the field, those early mornings in the weight room, all of that, it's got to be an un, very rewarding feeling. I'm sure. Um, yes, so let's, they're part of your story and I, whatever details you feel like sharing, like yeah. you feel like sharing the, I'm going to post the ESPN article when we, uh, this episode goes live. Walk us through this part of your journey and just whatever you feel like sharing details wise. I I think it's an inspirational return and just makes it's part of you as, Hey, this, this experience nearly ended your life as what the the article states, but you're able to come out on the better side of it and really tell that story. So whatever details you feel you're comfortable sharing, walk the audience through just what that was like and how you came out better for it. Absolutely. So as we talked about the mountaintop moment that I had, well, let's talk about the valley that came right after the mountaintop for me, right? And that 
Valley was breaking my neck in a severe car wreck on June 3rd, 2017, which would be approximately four and a half, five months after that moment that we just discussed, right? So crazy turn of events, right? Um, And so that being the case, now I'm not just without football, but I'm without the ability to walk. I'm without the ability to do a lot of things for a short period of time. So for that first week after breaking my neck in a severe car wreck on um, that particular date, what it did was it took me out of alignment with what I thought was for me, which was for me to ultimately go to the NFL, graduate with my degree in three and a half years that fall of 2017. All of my plans, right? Nope. I had to submit to something way bigger, way higher than me, right? And that calling of being, you know, someone that represents more than just football, it comes with a heavy price. So I mm-hmm. literally broke my neck, right, to show that regardless of not having football in my life, I'm still going to have to press forward. And that was not easy, right, to be crushed by 2,000 pounds on your neck and to Jeez. survive that accident only because you have – been built by Clemson, right? So had I not been a Clemson defensive end with the stature, with the type of, you know, muscular build, all that, I would not have survived that car wreck by myself, right? So Unbelievable. I had God on my side, I had God on my side, and I had man on my side because had I not been the size man that I was, I wouldn't have made it. So the reality is, is you're just thankful, right, for life itself after a moment like that um of, of of a lot of grief a lot of pain um a lot of questioning why me but then again why not me right so he wouldn't have brought me to that moment if he wasn't going to bring me through it so it took me two years man constant recovery in and out of mental rehab as well as physical right going through multiple addictions going through um you know setbacks and things in my life because of that accident having to rewire retailer um and rekindle uh, a lot of different things in my life as far as relationships with folks that you know I didn't know I would need who I would need until you need them um and so you know in my life man I would say throughout that two year time period I coached you know as a GA with Clemson got my master's degree in athletic leadership. I stayed focused on the things that I could control. So even though my condition and my circumstances weren't what I wanted, I knew that wasn't going to be my conclusion. And so for me, you know, that journey, man, was very humbling because it took me to my knees, literally a lot, right? Asking God to make a way. And eventually he did, right? He heard me and an unanswered prayer came. um, And I was able to play again at Boston College after that two-year journey. Um, and you know, it's something that I don't take lightly because gratitude should be applied to all situations, but this is an easy one to apply gratitude to when you didn't think it was possible or it was going to happen. And it happens because you've been preparing before the moment even comes and you didn't realize you were, even though you were going through ups and downs, trials and tribulations. Um, you know, the conclusion was I had that second opportunity to play at Boston college. I didn't look back, became the ACC Brian Piccolo comeback player award winner started as a you know a guy who hadn't played in two years um you know ended up getting a you know started on my other master's degree in healthcare administration had a wonderful experience you know left there you know in really good standings and you know was able to go out into the world and now become a productive citizen so you know it to me 
everything that I went through in that time period and beyond shaped me and molded me into who I am today. I it's I'm not like a loss. Like it's it's unbelievable to just kind of hear that perspective and just how you think there's the there's an age old saying is that you you ask you tell God your plan is going to laugh in your face and uh, something different will take shape. And I think for you, it's you mentioned that if it wasn't for Clemson and you wouldn't be where you are today. How did in that two year span, how did some guys like Dabo, Venables, teammates, how did they play a pivotal role in just being like just being a, a figure, being there for you in that situation? What what does that say about Clemson? Just in the simplest of words, I guess. Man, honestly, you put Clemson in the category of elite in each category, right? Academically, athletically, socially, you know, it's elite, elite, elite. And you wonder what that elitism does to the people. And man, my teammates served me. They did, you know. I had multiple guys, you know, whether in my unit or outside of my unit, you know, my college roommate, Trevion Thompson, Christopher Register, um, Kendall Joseph, Milo Richard, you know, so many guys that specifically were in my class, you know, Cleveland Farrell, Austin Bryant, you know, all those guys, um, even younger guys, man, just so much just surrounding you, right? Like you, you can't fall when you've got your brothers holding you up. Um, and as you mentioned, you know, having Coach Sweeney, you know, in my life at that time, man, it, I mean, people hear him speak and, you know, they, they see what he does, but they don't know the full impact because maybe they didn't have close contact with him. But I'm telling you, like, if it wasn't for all of the resources and all of the things that he poured into us beyond just football, right? Like, Jeff Davis is of the world right that created Paul journey for the players for us to have exposure to things that most college football players don't even think they could have exposure to right coach Venables very tough coach doesn't take no for an answer staying on you saying man you could come back you can come back like you could do this right like having coaches motivate you right um I mean it's just the whole program the entire Clemson Nation like I could go on and on and name so many mm-hmm. names, but just you brought up a few. Um, and so just to speak to that, man, it's just, man, like I don't know where I would be if I didn't have all of those people in my life, those relationships, you know, those conversations. Um, you know, when you're real low and you need somebody, um, man, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's an unbelievable just statement to what the the culture has really festered and evolved into. Uh, another thing for that article, and the last one before we dive into a couple rapid fun, little fun questions to boost up the the thing here. But uh, so it says that Chase Bryce was someone that he was made it a point to sought you. He sought you out the second that the second national championship, the one in San Francisco, was over. He ended up him with Chase Bryce. He's had a great career at App State. Just wrapped that up. Had a pivotal moment against Syracuse that year uh, with with you as a GA. So walk through what y'all's relationship was like. That's something when I read it, I was like, oh, I didn't know that. That's interesting. So walk us through what that was like with him because I believe he was a he was a freshman at the time. If that's not the case, right? Exactly. Exactly. So I mean, you talk about City Breezy, and I mean, you have <laughs> to think about you think you have to think about like the fact that he served like nobody else has ever served as a backup quarterback at Clemson University, right? So, like, 
even though he was a freshman, he was so ahead of his time, like just, just his level of maturity, right? Like just as a young man. And so, you know, being a coach, you gravitate towards those kind of guys, right? Like they have that right attitude, that mentality that's, it's infectious, right? Like it, it rubs off on other people and man, his smile, just his charisma, just like just him as a young player, just absorbing knowledge. Um, man, it, it was like him and I, we would go play golf sometimes, right? Or, you know, we would just do different activities, um, you know, just really to know one another, right? And, and, and how, how does that come about? It's just because good people link up with good people. Um, and it doesn't matter what position you play, what background you come from. Like, we're all teammates. We're all brothers. And so that relationship meant a lot to me. And you have to protect those type of relationships. And he definitely protected it by letting me know in that moment, seeking me out, right, to say, hey, this isn't about just them or, you know, whatever winning the national championship. It's about us. Like, this is – you are a part of this. Like, no matter what, I'm just like, thank you. Like, I mean, like, thank thank you. Like, even though, like, I was not able to physically take part, like, thank you for seeking me out and letting me know that I was a part. Like, being mindful and seeing me in that moment, like, I appreciate, I appreciated that. And that's just something that always stuck with me. Yeah, that's amazing. That's awesome to hear. Uh, another thing, uh, we're going to finish up the thank you again for your time. We're going to finish this up with some, some rapid fire, little fun questions. You mentioned moments against players like Duke Johnson and Amari Cooper and you being on the bad side of that. Was there ever a moment right. against a player where you got the jump on maybe someone who's playing in the NFL now and you're, you're like, oh man, I can't believe that that happened. Like you any experiences like that? Absolutely. Joe Mixon, 2015. Um, he tried to blindside me on a screenplay and let's just say he caught the worst end of that <laughs> and it didn't end up well for him. And, um, you know, it's interesting. He'd gotten me back in high school. And so that was actually payback. Um, then he got me at the U S Nike opening. Um, oh. you know, he caught a ball over me. You know, he felt pretty good about himself. He stood over me and I was like, one day, one day okay. I'm going to, make you one day I'll make you pay for that <laughs> and and that day that day was on one of the biggest stages in college football and uh I, I don't regret it at all obviously hey it's uh, club, definitely club. he earned that he earned that <laughs> club since first playoff game you had to get him back you had to make sure you got your moment that's awesome that's Absolutely. unbelievable and, and is that this isn't it can be the same moment but was there another moment at Clemson that's unforgettable uh, we can it can it can be the Watson Renfro thing. It can be the national championships. Yeah. Is there a moment in yeah. Clemson that's just like maybe it was a funny story in the locker room or in the film room? Just a funny yeah. moment that stands out. You know, our team had a lot of characters. Um, I'll tell you that much. And I guess probably one of the probably one of the funniest things that you know I've ever experienced at Clemson was when you first get here. You know, you don't realize how big respect is especially you know in the locker room especially with coaches and everything and um you know I remember being a young player and I believe we were about maybe one minute late to like our first Friday workout oh, with no. Coach Batson and oh, you know no. it's to, you're a high school right so you're transitioning so your workouts are maybe not as intense as like the, obviously the older guys and guys that have been there. So you kind of take for granted like time, right? Like time is everything in college. And so it's like, oh, we were one minute late. Like 
he'll he'll understand. We could just tell him like, hey, we we coach, we well, but we legitimately were. We were wrapped up with like some freshman orientation stuff, and like he was like, I don't care. Like workout started sixty seconds ago. Like should have been here. It's like oh no. And I'll never forget, like, that's when I realized the essence of time is, like, it's, it don't matter if it's one minute. It don't matter if it's 30 seconds, right? Like, you got to be on time. And so I, I never messed around with time after that that instance because that punishment and that pain of regret, you know, would have been keep doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result and wouldn't end up playing out well for you. So I would say, man, that was honestly one of the funniest moments is, like, seeing him snap. And like going to his co- co- whole coach Batson mode over one minute, right? And and it's oh. just to me, it's like it's just one minute, sixty seconds, right? As a young player, but sixty seconds can change an entire game, as we know, right? Six seconds can change an entire game. So just the irony between time, right, and learning what time is, and then realizing, like, man, I have to value it, I have to treasure it, right? Because yeah. you never know when it could be gone. Yeah, that's you know, Coach Patson yeah. strikes me as one that you don't want to really mess around with. No, absolutely <laughs> not. Absolutely not. So, absolutely so not. to wrap up this, and Rich, thanks once again for coming. This has been unbelievable. Uh, Clemson has not been to the playoffs the last two years. How does how does this team led by Clubneck? They have Garrett Riley coming in. There's a lot of young talent that's uh, made some headlines over this past weekend at the spring game. How does the uh, 2023 Clemson Tigers? How do they? get back to the playoffs and that get back to the mountaintop as we've talked about in this podcast. I think it comes down to realizing it's in your DNA. Um, And it's kind of like when Simba came back to reclaim his throne, right? After he had been Mm -hmm. gone for quite some time in the most recent Lion King. And he looked into the reflection and he saw his father speaking to him. So I think that this, this new generation that's coming through in this class, right? Like they know it's there. It's in the background, like the championships and stuff is kind of like the background noise. And they know like they're close, right? Like they have the ability, but it's putting it all together. And I think a lot of those pieces come from within. Um, And it's not just so much of what you see on the field. I think it's just believing in themselves off the field as well and continuing to grow this summer, get some more cohesion. And then coming to fall camp, I mean, you just never know, right? Like any given Saturday, you've got to bring it. So I think, you know, this team has that mentality of they know that the championships are there within reach and that they have the DNA within them. It's just a matter of getting out there and doing it. And it's just a process, right? So now they're in the real transformation phase, right? Like summertime is where guys transform. So I will say, and I will venture out to even predict That by this time, right, so by this time next year, we're going to see a completely different Clemson. And I I can can honestly say that we're going to look in that reflection pond, we're going to see, and they're going to hear from guys such as myself and others who have played, and it's going to speak into them somehow, some way, and they're going to do really well. They're going to do well. There you go. And they're going to look at that pond, hopefully see a little trophy. And I believe it's Houston this year. So we'll see if that uh, yep. comes to fruition. So uh, Richard, yes, thank sir. you for coming on to episode 117. The name of the plan podcast guys. I know that I haven't been here in a month and a half, but if we can get to 18,000 listeners across all platforms of this podcast, that would be fantastic. 
What a better way to subscribe to get more interviews like this, conversations with athletes like Richard, guys like Bo Collins, Bear Carter, Marcus Tate, Ricky Sapp, Darian Wrencher. We got a whole list of them, guys, and much, much more to come. I'm excited to get back to weekly episodes, weekly interviews. It's all coming. School's almost over, guys. I'll be here. So, guys, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Man with a Plan podcast with Richard Jurgen. Thank you so much. Have a day, great day and take care. Mm-hmm.